This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. It is official. Uh, is he the Donald Trump of the North? I don't know. I don't know if that's a fair comparison. But Kevin O'Leary has entered the Conservative uh, Party leadership race. He announced that uh, this morning. Uh, rumors floating around it last night. Oddly enough, it's after the French debate, uh, which happened in Quebec. To talk more about all of this, Michael Tobe is with us, columnist and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. He is with us now. Hello, Michael. How are you today? I'm good, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Uh, I guess this is uh, the best secret we couldn't keep. Uh, Any surprises here? No, no surprises at all. I mean, this has been touted for a few months now, and I think that most people realize that Mr. O'Leary was interested when he started, oh, quite a while ago, by basically challenging Rachel Notley on uh, the energy sector and basically offering out a million dollars to private companies and others as a way of trying to get her to resign and step down. And it's kind of just evolved over the past few months where he's made uh, some op-eds and commentaries and various interviews that he's had on uh, uh, TV, radio, etc., where he's talked about Justin Trudeau, the way he examines the country, his political and economic agenda, and why he feels that he, Kevin O'Leary, can do a better job overall. So, no, there's no shock at all that it happened. I think the only thing that is interesting is that he did it the day after the first French-language debate that the Tories held, because as we know, Mr. O'Leary, among a few other candidates, is not bilingual, so he obviously said it to make sure that it happened the day after that. Uh, Michael, that was obviously my next question. Uh, Should he wait a day or two after the French debate? Does it matter? Uh, What are your thoughts on all of this? You know, it, it depends how you look at it. I mean, I don't think that being bilingual or not being bilingual is a pressing issue. I have said before that the person I had preferred and had had hoped would run for the federal Tory leadership, but he's obviously decided not to, which is Saskatchewan Premier Brad Wall. Mr. Wall, for all his great credentials, does not happen to be bilingual. But you can learn French as time goes along, the same way you can learn English or any other language as an adult. I don't dispute with people the fact, and I'm sure maybe you've even said, Scott, that it's easier to learn a new language as a child because a child operates like a sponge and it's easier for he or she to capture the information. But adults can learn it. I mean, the classic example was then Reform Party leader Preston Manning, whose French was never great, but he went to live with a family in Quebec for a period of time and his French improved. You know, not to the point where he was necessarily bilingual, but it was passable. And I'm sure that Mr. O'Leary, if he becomes Tory leader, could obviously make uh, uh, an ability or have the ability to have passable French if he becomes the opposition leader. Um, But again, I don't think it's a big deal that he announced the day after, although I think it's quite obvious the reasons why. I think the bigger problem and the issue that I have, because I don't support Mr. O'Leary for Tory leader, is the, the detriment and the issues and the problems that could occur if this man becomes the next Tory leader. Why don't you support him? There are a lot of reasons why. Um, even though he doesn't like the comparison, and I know that he's continually denied it, he has been called the equivalent to Canada's Trump. Mm-hmm. And while certainly he is not Donald Trump in the sense that both men hold different points of view on the economy, for example, Mr. O'Leary does not favor tariffs, where Mr. Trump has obviously been touting them to some extent, and as President of the United States, by Friday, he may actually implement it if he's not happy with the way a country works with him on a particular issue. 
We also know there's a difference in terms of the issues of safety and security, where Mr. Trump is a strong supporter of the U.S. Army and believes in fighting the war on terror, whereas Mr. O'Leary, on a number of radio interviews, has directly said that he does not support entering Canada into the war on terror and has made some critical comments about the Canadian military. So the two men are not exactly the same on an issue basis, but their backgrounds are virtually the same. Both businessmen, both reality TV stars, and both had zero, and then I really emphasize the word zero, political experience between the two of them before they chose to run for a prominent position. Now, obviously, another difference is Mr. Trump will become the leader of the free world in two days. If Mr. O'Leary wins the Tory leadership race in a few months in May, he will only be the leader of the loyal opposition. He will not be the prime minister of the country. But there are too many similarities between the men, and I was frustrated and concerned about Mr. Trump's campaign. The reason that I'm concerned about Mr. O'Leary's campaign is because I keep seeing this, unfortunately, this kind of anti-establishment figure running in, basically saying that they understand politics better than people who've worked 5, 10, 15, 20 plus years in the game. And as well, it's also this theory, this almost kind of arrogance that I know better than everyone else how to manage a country, when in fact he never has managed a country. Yes, Mr. O'Leary has done well in business. I don't criticize him for that. Yes, he has been successful as a reality TV star, both in Canada and the United States. That's perfectly good. How do these things qualify him to become A, opposition leader of the country, and B, eventually, prime minister of the country? Even if you dislike Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, and I certainly do, I want to have someone with political experience, understanding of the issues, and policy knowledge, which I really don't see Mr. O'Leary sort of espousing at this point, as the person who will be the next opposition leader, or that being the next Tory leader. Mr. O'Leary just has way too many negatives and way too few positives. And just because people are getting tired of sort of the politics as usual crowd, I really don't think that's the reason to jump in and sort of create another Trump-like situation, but this time in Canada. Do you think that O'Leary and Trump are that similar? I mean, I think there's more difference than similarity. I mean, there's, they're TV stars and they're businessmen, and that those are two big things that stand out. But isn't that pretty much where the comparison ends? I mean, especially when you just look at their, their view on social issues and such? Well, like I said, obviously, if you look at ideas, the two men are different. I'm not disputing that. I, unfortunately, though, Mr. O'Leary, and if he's wise, he'll do this, is going to try to, to sort of ride the, uh, the anti-establishment wave that's been successful in politics these days. You know, something that um, The Economist magazine late last year called sort of the new nationalism. It's this sort of anti-establishment, populist-type figure who basically come in with either limited or no political experience whatsoever and basically say that their life experience be it in business be it in social work or whatever qualifies them to be automatically a political leader or an inspiring political figure with little to no experience is just um, it, it, to someone who's been around for as long as i have more than twenty five years that's just completely and utterly illogical you need to get your feet wet i would have preferred that Mr. O'Leary had declared his interest in running for a federal seat to become an MP, serve for a term or two, learn the ropes, learn how to build bridges, learn how to work with other parties, learn about the nature of the game, and then become the federal leader, if you're obviously, if you decide that you want to do that. 
he's basically trying to jump past everything and everybody and become a politician before he's ever held a political seat. Now, some people and some of your listeners may think, well, that's fantastic. That's great. It's fresh. It's new. He's not tainted by political scandal, by previous political experience. He's something brand new on the scene, and he'll come after Justin Trudeau hard. Of course he'll come after Justin Trudeau hard. But so will many of the established Tory candidates, from uh, Andrew Scheer, a Maxime Bernier, a Lisa Raitt, who are there right now, who have credentials, who have the ability to run an opposition party. Not a businessman, reality TV star, who has absolutely no political experience whatsoever. And sure, everybody will make mistakes in a particular political position. We know that, Scott. But the learning curve for Kevin O'Leary in politics is massive. For Tories, especially loyal Tories, this is not what we should want out of our next leader. How does Kevin O'Leary avoid the negative bag, uh, the negative baggage when being compared to Trump? I mean, obviously you said there is some similarities, but there also isn't. How does he avoid the negative stuff? Quite frankly, he can't. The only thing he can do, and I'm sure his spin doctors will do it over and over again, is they'll keep saying that, yeah, we know that the comparison is being made. Yes, we understand on the surface you see some mild similarities, but when you really number crunch it or you really dig down deep into the policy matters, they'll say that Kevin O'Leary is far different from Donald Trump on a wide series of issues. And again, I concur, not to be a broken record, you're absolutely right. The two men do look at certain things differently when it comes to politics, economics, the level, the size of government, taxation, foreign policy, safety and security. I'm not disputing that. But that's the only way Kevin O'Leary can get past the fact that there are these similarities with Donald Trump, even if they're just on the surface, and he can't move much further than that. It's hard. Sometimes when you try to create political spin, you're very, very successful. And other times you sort of just keep throwing darts at the dartboard and hope to God that something sticks. I think that the O'Leary campaign will have to throw out a lot of trial balloons, at least early on, to ensure to his supporters and people who may want to become his supporters that he is completely different than Donald Trump because a Donald Trump character running in Canada, while it may appeal to a few people, and I'm not disputing that, the vast majority of Canadians, including Canadian Conservatives, would want, not want to see this scenario repeated here. Where are, uh, what are political parties learning from this anti-establishment movement? I mean, you know, you can only stand across the other side of the House and yell at them for so long. I mean, it's the same thing with Lisa Raitt and her Stop uh, Kevin O'Leary campaign. Yes. Uh, are, are, you know, uh, that doesn't seem to work. And if, and if anything, it just seems to get the other side even more angry. So no, it, what are political parties learning from this anti-establishment movement? Are they? Yeah, well, you're absolutely, and then with all due respect to Lisa Raitt, I thought that that website was a poor, poor idea, really foolish. You don't basically bring him more exposure. You don't give him more airtime. If you want to criticize him, by all means criticize him, but don't do that, because that sort of website is something he can use and laugh it off, saying they're all scared of me. Look what they're doing. Now, in terms of the actual anti-establishment movement, or anti-establishment candidates, what people are learning is, at least right now, in the short term, that sort of wave, which has been very successful in the United States, the United Kingdom, Germany to some degree, France right now, even in Italy, it's growing in many different ways, shapes, and forms. 
sometimes it's just been successful for, say, a referendum like Brexit, as we saw in the United Kingdom, and other cases, and I would certainly put Mr. Donald Trump in that category, it has actually helped elect new types of politicians. I think what the political parties are learning, and I think what people who are interested in politics are learning, is that right now, anti-establishment type figures are actually a bonus rather than a negative in politics. So you have to learn to confront them and control them with such things as policy issues. How much do these people really know? Political experience. People who've actually got their feet wet or are in the game understand the game, that being politics, better than people who have limited to no experience. Those are the sorts of things you do to counter it. But right now, there's just unfortunately a lot of people who are very frustrated with many things in life. It could be their daily lives, could be things that are with their jobs, their families, or just society in general. They don't like the things that are being discussed. They think their taxes are too high, government's too big, uh, foreign policy matters are being fought in the right or the wrong way. And for that reason, this wave, the anti-establishment wave, has become much, much stronger as of late. I guess, now, the, I guess what I was looking for, Michael, was not for how they counter it, but what have they learned from it? Like, in other words, they're out of touch. How do they get back in touch? That's what this is coming down to. It's not a case of how do you counter it on a campaign level, because I think the public is, is figuring all of that out. Right. It's how do you change government so you're listening more to what the people are saying? Well, that's where I would say the anti-establishment figures, and I was going to get to it after, they are actually right, is that a lot of parties <clears throat> and a lot of individual politicians have become more out of touch with the needs of people. You know, for example, with Donald Trump, they talked about how Donald Trump spoke to the people in the Rust Belt or Middle America who have felt neglected by Washington, the, the power base of the United States, for many, many years. I think the same thing also occasionally happens in Canada, where a lot of people say in Western Canada, Atlantic Canada, and all that, think that there's way too much concentration of power, time, and influence in provinces like Ontario and Quebec. So I think what they're learning from this, even if the anti-establishment wave disappears, which I think it eventually will, is that you have to basically now stay in touch with average people, average citizens, the voters. You have to listen to them or at least give the image or provide the image that you are listening to them and you're not just ignoring them all the time. And that means maybe more direct democracy brought in, more town hall meetings, sort of what like Justin Trudeau is doing right now, even though he's obviously getting his lumps. Those town hall meetings actually are the most democratic form of allowing people to speak directly to their leaders. There are also different types of policy legislation that you can put forward, too, with the words such as, to use my speechwriting habits, a citizen's forum or citizen's taxpayer revolt or something of that nature. Make it about them. Make it a part of them. It always has been about them, Scott. The problem is that politicians are sort of seen as people who live way up on the high towers and everybody else lives way, way below them in the grassy knolls and the two sides just don't see each other at all. If elitism is a problem in politics, and I believe it is, elitism has to be stamped out. And that's where people like Trump and Kevin O'Leary, to some degree, are able to make their mark and succeed in a politically charged environment such as the one we have right now. Michael Tobe has been with us, a columnist and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. 
My pleasure, Scott. Have a great day. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. This is what Kevin O'Leary had to say before announcing on national TV he was running for the leadership of the Federal Conservative Party. This is it, everybody. I'm about to go onto that set and announce that I'm going to join the leadership race of the Conservative Party. And you know why? I listen to you. Thank you, the 40,000 of you that went to the website encouraged me to do it. That's why I'm doing it. What an opportunity we have in this country. Limitless bounty. Such opportunity to turn it around. I'm so excited. It's time. I'm jumping into the race right now. I'm talking to you first because we started this journey together. And in about 30 seconds, I'll do it on national television. Then I'll get back to you later in the morning. We'll discuss it in more detail, I'll tell you a little, bit of, a little bit of my plans. But this is a very important time. I'm really excited because the potential of this country is absolutely immense. It's just really mismanaged. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right, and there you have it. Uh, he walked onto national TV and declared his candidacy uh, the day after the French language uh, debate. To talk more about all of this, Robert McDermott is with us, associate professor in the Department of Political Science, York University, and with us now. Hello, Robert. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for taking the time to join us. What are your thoughts on the announcement today of Kevin O'Leary uh, deciding to run for the federal conservative uh, leadership race? Obviously, the worst kept secret uh, in the country, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, we've all been waiting for something. I mean, at one time he said he was going to run for the liberals. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, there's been an air of expectation for a long time. So, as you say, it's, it's one of the worst kept secrets. Um, you know, you're at putting me in the position where I have to imagine I'd be predicting what would happen to Donald Trump like six months before the actual primaries ended, and that's that's a tough one. Um, listen, he's, the guy's got a great high profile, uh, which can work both ways. He's had a lot of success in business, um, which can work cut both ways. Um, you know, he's got a lot of profile. Obviously, I just asked my class that I was teaching how many people knew Kevin O'Leary because I sort of. You associate him with watching business shows or BNN, or and, and my sense was that he's not really well-known, but to my surprise, I would say three-quarters of the students knew who he was. So he's clearly got uh, a higher profile than many of the candidates, uh, many of the other 12 or 13 other candidates in the race, who uh, I'm sure if I asked the same thing of my class, the, the, the numbers would, would be even less. Um, he has a great profile, uh, but on the other hand, that comes with, you know, detractions, too. I mean, he said a lot of things about businesses and governments over the years on TV. Uh, some of them were seemed to me to be amazingly uninformed and stupid, I mean, along the lines of what, you know, you might hear Donald Trump say some from time to time as well. Um, so he has that in common with Trump. Um, but, you know, he's now going to have to face those, just as Trump did, and, and people are going to be reminding him of what he said all along. And there's a lot of videos, and there'll be a lot to deny. And clearly he's come out in that a little announcement clip saying, you know, it's all about Canada and so on. And he's trying to put those comments behind him. We'll see how successful he, did, he does do that. Um, uh, they I'll, said he once, once wanted to be a liberal. So, I mean, I guess there'll be a lot of conservative members scratching their heads saying, you know, well, mm, I know, where does he fit into this? Um, what he stands for. Uh, I mean, he's still kind of a blank slate. Uh, I mean, uh, and, and plus the fact that he already, if he's going to try to play the Trump thing and be a, a Trump-like candidate, there's already another uh, Trump-like candidate in the race, Kelly Leach. 
Um, so, uh, you know, there's going to be competition for that kind of corner of the political spectrum. Um, and then, of course, you might argue that he has very little political experience, uh, you know. You know, we had our last guest just sat, just said that, and then a, a listener emailed and said, well, how much experience did Prime Minister Trudeau have? Yeah, that's good. Well, he did serve in Parliament for a, a brief time, a couple of years, I think, before he was actually elected party leader. So he had some. How does Kevin? How does Kevin O'Leary avoid the negative baggage when being compared to Trump? I mean, obviously he's a he's a TV star, he's a businessman. You know, those are the strong similarities between the two. Uh, Kevin has been known to run off at the mouth a, a little bit, but certainly not to the extent that Donald Trump has. Certainly not about the things Donald Trump has has sure. talked about. How does he avoid the negative baggage when being compared to Trump? Right. Well, I, I mean, I'm not sure he would want to avoid it at this point in time. I, I mean, that's why the sort of softening comments in his, his introduction are a little bit puzzling. I mean, this is running for the leadership of the party, not for the governing of the country, in which case, you know, all leaders who campaign um, ideologically within their party tend to temper those views when it comes to a general election, mm-hmm. because they know they have to attract the support of other people. So, I mean, I expect him to, to not try to move to the middle and to actually not distance himself from many of the things he had to say. If he, if he does do that, um, I think he'll, he'll end up not satisfying certain factions of the party. Um, but, you know, that also leads to the other thing. It's an uphill race for him, I think, in a lot of ways. I mean, he doesn't speak French. I mean, I, I hardly imagine that French conservative members will not notice that he declared his candidacy the day after the French debate because yeah. he didn't want to show off his lack of ability in French. Um, that's going to be tough for him to win, win, win party votes. And, and this is not a delegated procedure, right? This is a one-member, one-vote election. So he has to win votes in Quebec. And it's hard to see him winning many. Maybe he'll win some. Uh, you know, obviously, Quebecers, maybe they, do they get a French translation of Dragon's Den? I, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Um, but, uh, so they won't know him as well. And, 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 you know, that's, uh, that's a lot of votes there, uh, 74 constituencies or something like that. Um, and with a hundred, hundred percent of the votes, so that, you know, that's a big uphill to say a big uphill climb to simply say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to write that off. Uh, uh, the other week or last week, he, he, or he came out and said some statement about paying for Senate seats. Uh, which, you know, people just kind of roll their eyes at. Are, are these the types of statements he needs to stay away from? I mean, you know, I think people in the States are looking for an alternative. They're hoping that Trump is that alternative. But then, you know, they've got to put up with all this other crap uh, as well. Yeah. Do, you know, and I guess that was my point about how does he yeah. avoid the negative baggage. Uh, yeah. Throwing lines like this out, that will draw the comparison, though, won't it? Yeah. Yes, of course. And, and in the absence of the other stuff, as you quite rightly mentioned, I, I, I mean, there is something interesting about Trump because he does challenge the orthodoxy you know, mm-hmm. in, in unconventional ways. It's really unclear what uh, O'Leary stands for in that regard. I mean, if you go back over the kind of diatribes he's had on, on BNN and, and, and CBC over the years, they're all about how government's bad and business is good. Well, you know, that, that may be an interesting opinion. It may attract viewers and so on, but it's, it's not the reality of governing. Um, and, and maybe he'll have to devise some other ideas that are more attractive along the way. We'll, we'll wait and see. I mean, that will determine, I think, ultimately his success. 
Uh, phone lines always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Kevin O'Leary announced his candidacy for the federal conservatives. Uh, would you vote for him as prime minister is what we're all asking you. Uh, a few weeks ago or a week ago or so, um, Lisa Raitt, she was on the show and talking about her new website, uh, Stop Kevin O'Leary. Uh, will this sort of thing backfire? Does this just draw more attention to him? Yes, it does, yes. I mean, I think it does give him more importance and significance than perhaps he deserves at this point. I mean, there's still 14 candidates in the race. You know, obviously it's going to be winnowed down and we'll we'll get a few candidates. But I, I suppose, um, you know, there's always the possibility that someone will win. Well, uh, someone, it is an alternative vote. So somebody will will win because they're a compromise. And, and maybe that's the, the, the thinking behind it. But, you know, it's rarely does a lot of good to attack another candidate right at the outset, particularly when there's so many candidates and people are so uninformed about all of them. I mean, it's probably time is better invested in getting your own message out. Um, and as I say, and as you quite, I think, rightly pointed out, it, uh, it does sort of raise his profile, too. Uh, what are political parties learning from this whole experiment? What are they learning? Like, obviously, there's an anti-establishment movement out there that is growing. Uh, I'm not asking how they combat that. It's how do they adjust their politics to appeal more to the average Canadians who now feel they are elite and out of touch? Who now feel they're, sorry, what? I didn't care. Elite and out of touch. Right. Yeah, how politicians are elite and out of touch. Um, which I think they are. Actually, I would completely agree with that. I guess I'd put myself as one of those people who actually thinks politicians are... Um, they have to think about listening to politicians, uh, listening to, to people much more, um, and, and trying to incorporate ideas that people are genuinely affected uh, by in their, in their lives. I mean, they have to come to grips with some of this, not in a public relations way, you know, which we had the prime minister trotting around the problems listening to people. And while that wasn't wholly public relations, a lot of it was. He did take questions. He did seem to give straight answers to some things. Uh, but I think there's a whole lot more of that that needs to be done if, if parties are going to rediscover some connection to people um, and not be, in a some sense, reacting or not being subject to the takeover of Trump-like campaigns, where I think somebody sweeps in and just sort of takes over the party because they're suddenly able to appeal to people outside the party. Um, and And... You know, we'll see if if, uh, if uh, O'Leary can do that. I mean, it, this is all, as as you know, all, all leadership races are about signing up members. Can he do that? Will be the, ultimately the question. Can Kevin O'Leary win the leadership? Um, <laughs> you're going to force me to predict. <laughs> um, I think if he has some astute campaign advice and he follows that, um, he might have a chance at winning. Yeah, I think he's in there. He's certainly one of the major candidates. I, I think there's a good chance he, he could he could do it. Uh, Chris is asking a listener, why the comparison to Trump? I mean, again, as I mentioned earlier, obviously he's the TV show host, he's a businessman, but from there on, it they seem to be quite different. I mean, they're bombastic, they get in your face, but they, they seem to be quite different. I mean, uh, obviously the things that Trump has said, uh, chasing... Uh, 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 comments of sexual nature, sexual innuendo, uh, you know, just this the whole nine yards, commenting on Saturday Night Live and, and Meryl Streep and such. I mean, they are different people, are they not? Why the comparison? Oh, well, sure. I mean, they're different. And, but their background is very similar. Their, positioning, their business positioning, their lack of experience in politics, um, their relative wealth, 
and their relative prominence is, yeah. is hugely different. Um, but on the other hand, they do seem to do some of the same things as you mentioned, with with obviously some exceptions. Or, you know, obviously there's a lot more to be revealed about Kevin O'Leary as he comes under the closer microscope of, of the media. It's, it's hard to know what will, what will surface there. Uh, inevitably, with all new politicians, you know, people who want to put themselves out, something some things come up uh, that we didn't know about them before. Um, so there's still things to be discovered. But clearly... I mean, you know, you put your finger on it. They're, they're, they're bombastic comments. They're uh, sweeping generalizations. Often their lack of knowledge about how things work um, is, is often quite similar. And uh, I've listened to Leary for many years, uh, even on businesses and uh, business and government relations. And, and my goodness, I mean, some of the things he would say were awe-inspiringly wrong, you know, <laughs> or just, you know, um, completely oblivious to what actually goes on. But they were good entertainment. I mean, I think you have to see both of these guys as entertainers in, in, in a real way. And that is what has brought them to prominence, is their ability to, you know, create entertaining shows and create comments that will attract viewers and, to be honest, sell products. Robert McDermott has been with us, Associate Professor in the Department of Political Science at York University. Robert, thanks for the time. It's going to be fascinating to watch. It will be. Thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks, Robert. Appreciate it. Phone lines are open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Would you vote for Kevin O'Leary for Prime Minister? Let's go to the phones, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Chris is on the line. Chris, what are your thoughts? Would you vote for him? Yes, I would. Why? I, I would because uh, everybody's uh, concerned about Donald Trump. Let's concern ourselves with what's going on in this country and O'Leary has always been the, uh, he's against uh, a lot of the waste in government and whatnot. And uh, your last caller, I'm losing trust in these so-called professionals uh, because we've seen that happen in the United States. The professionals got turned around and hammered. Yeah. And in the meantime, uh, O'Leary... Uh, he he wants to turn around and streamline government, and as far as uh, being publicly, oh, I forget what your last caller said, but uh, Justin Trudeau, he's just he's going around and he wants to appeal to all the people and all this kind of stuff. But uh, no, I, I I'd vote for the man in uh, a minute and. I'm not really a conservative. <laughs> All right, Chris, thanks for the call. Much appreciated. 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Would you vote for Kevin O'Leary for Prime Minister? James is on the line. James, your thoughts? Well, let, let, me, start off by, let me start off by saying uh, a recap. I ha- currently have a Prime Minister who led a privileged life, who was too young to be mentored by his father politically, and his resume touts that he was a drama teacher and a doorman. And then I look at O'Leary, who is uh, rags to riches uh, in terms of uh, investment and business and success. Yeah, I'd vote for O'Leary. Hmm, interesting comparison. Thanks, James. Much appreciated. So you don't, uh, what about the comparisons to Trump? Uh, Do you think he is as much like Trump as everybody says he is, or do you think it's just the TV show and the business uh, acumen? I don't think so. I think uh, I think he's uh, he's quick-witted and he has business sense and uh, he's a straight shooter and a and, and positive thinker uh, in terms of uh, 
motivating uh, business and motivating people. I've, I've listened to his arguments uh, on talk shows where he discusses uh, faults of government and the uh, flaws, and, and I, I, think he's, uh, I think he's on the ball. All right, thanks for the call, James. Much appreciated. Phone lines open. Something you want to say, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. You know, I, I, you know as, as one of the callers just mentioned, I think a lot of people are just blowing this guy off just like they did Trump, and I don't think that's the right way to handle this. I really don't. I think that there's a lot of angry people out here, and, and, and they want change, and they don't want change from the typical status quo, where the only thing that's different is the logo. And, you know, when you talk about inexperience, which my last guest talked about, uh, I think lots of people would look at, I mean, the whole conservative campaign uh, with Harper was he's not ready, he's not experienced. So, you know, I don't know how any of these other guys have any more experience than what he does. Uh, I think what Kevin O'Leary is going to have to work hard to try to avoid is Donald Trump, as, as much as people are putting, you know, their faith in him as the alternate candidate, uh, and, and obviously now the president, um, he just does some really stupid things that just, that just make it more difficult for himself. I, I would like that sort of charisma and the, the sort of forward thinking and anti-establishment thinking, but not without the, the negative baggage, not without or, or rather without the uh, the comments about Meryl Streep or Saturday Night Live or things that nobody cares about. You're the damn president. Grow some thick skin. Can you imagine if Trudeau or Wynn started cutting up Canadian actors or Canadian TV shows? I mean, you'd think they were absolutely wacko. And that's my view of Trump. I mean, I can totally see how he got the vote, the alternative vote. People want change. And we're all hoping that he does a good job. But he's got to stop shooting himself in the foot. I'm not sure Kevin O'Leary is that kind of guy. I'm not sure Kevin O'Leary is stupid enough to create more problems for himself. Although, when you suggest things like a paid Senate seat, then you are pretty much in the same category as a Donald Trump. It'll be very, 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 very disappointing if that's what happens here. Just it'll be very disappointing if what we're seeing with Trump is what we're going to get for the next four years down there. Um, Because people have put a tremendous amount of faith in this person that he can be the uh, anti-establishment candidate that everybody had hoped for and voted for. Not just a buffoon who's an egomaniac and gets mad when Alec Baldwin imitates him on a satirical TV show. I mean, it's, 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 it's bizarre. Uh, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Mike's on the line. Mike, would you vote for Kevin O'Leary for prime minister? Yes, Scott, I would vote for Kevin O'Leary providing, you know, he's an, uh, you know, a student in his um, campaign. He sticks to the politics and, uh, you know, sticks to the concerns of this country. Is he as wacky as a Donald Trump? Is he going to be the guy that's tweeting in the middle of the night complaining about what Alec Baldwin's doing on no, SNL? No, I don't, I don't see him doing that at all. I see him as bringing uh, basics back to the basis government for this country, which I think we need. Uh, what about the campaign from Lisa Wright to stop uh, Donald, or sorry, stop Kevin O'Leary? Does that add more fuel to the fire? How, how does how do people react to that? I think that's just going to weigh into his campaign, and he'll respond to that hopefully in a very in a astute way, in a political way, in a concise, po- polite way and just try to brush it aside.
All right, Mike, thanks for the call. Much appreciated. Phone lines are open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Andre is on the line. Andre, what are your thoughts? Would you vote for Kevin O'Leary for prime minister? No, not this guy's way. Uh, he just uh, runs off the mouth and says things too quick before he knows the information. And uh, the worst one I can point out for you was when he mentioned that he had been to some FBI training place and he fired the same gun that was used at the uh, Pulse whatever nightclub shooting and said it shoots uh, 700 rounds a minute. No, it was an AR, which is a semi-automatic that we used, and you could never shoot 700 rounds in a minute. You know, he's, he's just ridiculous, says things too quick. So you don't think he's fact-checking before opening up the uh, opening up the mouth? Well, worse than fact-checking, he's saying, I'm the guy. I did it. I was there. I fired that firearm with my own hand. Yeah. You know, so he, he really quickly jumps out and says things like that. Uh, you know, it's, and it's, uh, it's Trump's bad side that we'll be uh, getting with uh, O'Leary. You know, he's a smart businessman. Don't get me wrong. Trump's a smart businessman as well. And, and I really think that needs to be a part of our parliamentary system uh, rather than solely... Uh, bleeding heart left or right, I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. It would be nice to have it run as a business, make Canada profitable, you know, but O'Leary's not the right guy for it. You know, you bring up a valid point, Andre, and and again, I, you know, I think Trump has certainly uh, motivated a segment of the population. I think Kevin O'Leary is doing that too, but to me, and I'm not willing to put Kevin O'Leary in the same uh, category as Trump at this point, but it seems that they're, all, you know, certainly for Trump, he's his own worst enemy. I mean, he, you know, I think there's a lot of people that put faith in this guy, and hopefully they won't be disappointed because of his buffoonery. Well, I look at our alternatives right now. You're looking at Leach, Maxine Bernier. You're looking at uh, the other fellow there, Stephen Blaney. You know, Stephen Blaney's got some uh, a bit of... You there, Mike? Uh, Sorry, you cut out there. He's got a bit of what? Stephen Blaney has a bit of what you'd call street cred, if you will. He stood up to the RCMP when he felt he had to. Uh, Maxine Bernier, uh, where would you go with it? I'd better ask you, especially you, Scott. Who would you vote to lead the Conservative Party? I have no idea, Andre. <laughs> I have well, no I have no freaking idea. And I'll leave it at that. Thanks for the call. Much appreciated. It's a freak show, man. It's a freak show. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to three on AM nine hundred CHML. Interesting revelation coming out of uh, Toronto's uh, Pride Committee. And, of course, uh, these are the people involved with the Toronto Pride Parade every year and uh, a huge event. And the police are uh, often participants, uh, often marching in the parade and as well uh, being a part of it, as well as, of course, just uh, offering free security. Of, of which, by the way, uh, Toronto taxpayers subsidized Pride with $512,000 worth of free publicity, or sorry, free police security. Uh, that figure does not include the cost of pay-duty police, uh, which is the subject, uh, uh, which is subject to privacy laws. So uh, the City of Toronto and uh, the Toronto Police provide a half a million dollars worth of security, free security, for uh, the Gay Pride Parade. And uh, from what I understood and what I understand what happened uh, yesterday, and we're going to get Sue Ann Levy in here, investigative columnist with Post Media, her column in The Sun today, vote bans 
cops from taking part in Pride Parade. Uh, she goes on to write, a raucous and aggressive group of gays and lesbians voted at the Pride uh, at the Pride meeting on Tuesday night to capitulate to Black Lives Matter Toronto and ban police from marching or participating in future parades. But asked, uh, but asked after the vote whether Pride Toronto still welcomes the free police security offered to the yearly parade and other events. Uh, the board chair said, of course. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, in 2016, Toronto taxpayers subsidized Pride with uh, over $500,000 worth of uh, free police security. Uh, they hope that will continue. Uh, although the Black Lives Matter demands uh, made when they disrupted the July 3rd parade with a 30-minute sit-in were not on the agenda of the meeting, it took less than 10 minutes for a group of self-described white butch dykes to sabotage the meeting and insist the demands be added as top item. Which I found... Uh, anyway. Uh, when the meeting chairman uh, valiantly tried to explain that changing the agenda was uh, out of order because proper notice had, been not, had not been given to the group, uh, they challenged the chair and presented their motion to the crowd of nearly 400, asking them to vote on the eight demands. Uh, those demands asked Pride Toronto in large part to commit more money for black programming in the parade and to hire more black staff at their headquarters. Uh, by far the most contentious is the final demand that all police floats and booths be removed from future Pride parades and other events. Uh, it is disrespectful and problematic not to allow conversation about the racism inherent in Pride Toronto, uh, was said before the vote. We should take the power back in our community. That's reasonable and revolutionary. Uh, goes on to say, uh, this needs to be discussed. This is our organization. Uh, and this was taboos and shouting from the crowd at the meeting. Uh, as they uh, tried to keep uh, this whole thing in order. So uh, we uh, put a phone call out to uh, Deidre Pike on this, and, and unfortunately she's busy and tied up and, 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 can't, uh, and can't come on with us at this point. Uh, we did ask her, uh, Jacob asked her what her thoughts were on banning cops uh, from taking part in the parade, and she said it's not, and, and if she agreed with that, and she said it's not an easy yes or no answer, that uh, there are issues on both sides uh, that need to be addressed, and it's unfortunate uh, that it has uh, come to this uh, to this level. Um, I remember when Pride started, it was all about inclusion. It was all about uh, making members of this community feel welcome in public and include them in day-to-day -day activities and lives of Torontonians, Ontarians, and Canadians. So when you read a headline that said, vote bans cops from taking part in Pride Parade, you wonder where the term inclusion has gone. And how does this possibly move towards solving issues? Again, maybe I don't know the issues. Uh, hopefully we can get somebody on, you know, to, to better explain it. Um, but to me, this just seems, appears to be the wrong approach. To talk more about all of this, Sue Ann Levy is with us, investigative columnist with Post Media. You can read her article in the Toronto Sun today, Vote Bans Cops from Taking Part in Pride Parade. She is with us now. Hello, Sue Ann. How are you today? 
I'm great. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking the time to join us. We greatly appreciate this. Uh, Always happy to do something for my hometown of Hamilton. (laughs) And we're always glad to have you back, that's for sure. Uh, You were at uh, this meeting. What happened? Was this even on, obviously it wasn't on the agenda. What happened? Well, no, it wasn't on the agenda. It was supposed to be an ADM to discuss the um, audited statement from 2016 and an annual report and to vote in some new board members. And in fact, I spoke to uh, the outgoing co-chair, um, uh, Aaron Glenn Williams of Pride, and he said, oh, we're, you know, we're moving into a, a new era. We're going to have new board members. It's all going to be very democratic. And I did ask him about the Black Lives Matter issue, and he said, well, we're sorting it out internally. Then 10 minutes into the meeting, before I even, I even had a chance to t- transcribe his, his comments from my tape recorder, uh, a couple of self-described white butch dykes came up to the microphone and said that the Black Lives, insisted that the Black Lives Matter issue be put on the agenda and basically bullied the chairman of the meeting, uh, who vainly tried to keep control of the meeting. He did, I thought, a wonderful job. Um, and evidently there were a, a majority of people in the audience who felt the same way. And before you knew it, within the half hour, it was on the agenda and they had proposed this motion to put forward Black Lives Matter's uh, eight demands from the parade uh, earlier last year, and uh, they were voted in. And the last one being to ban police from, from the parade. How did that come about? How was that, how was that presented? And how was it received? Okay, so that was always on uh, a part of the list of demands, and uh, by far the most contentious. Um, and that was part of the list of demands that was presented by Black Lives Matter when they held that sit-in, if your listeners recall, yep. on uh, July 3rd, where they held up the parade for 30 minutes, a parade that I was actually marching in and, you know, had no idea what was happening until I found out that this is, this is what was going on. They staged a sit-in, and they presented these demands, and the former executive director of Pride signed an agreement, agreed to the demands, acquiesced to the demands to get the, the, the parade to start moving again. And, of course, there's a lot of hue and cry back then about, you know, what are you talking about with respect to the police uh, banning their participation in the parade, banning them from, you know, providing security to the parade, um, actually manning and womaning the parade. Um, and it was never fully explained. Then they had a town hall at the end of August. Um, Pride did. And they uh, were supposed to discuss a number of issues, internal issues at Pride. And, of course, Black Lives Matter attended, and they completely hijacked that meeting. And a lot of screaming and shouting ensued. That was August 31st. And, um, and then there was never any sort of resolution around what would happen with the police. It was sort of left dangling in the air. And they were supposed to take it to some internal process they called the dispute resolution process in November, and we never heard another word until last night. So is this Pride's fault for not addressing this sooner and, you know, and allowing this can of worms to open up at this meeting? I think Pride, uh, you know, stands to be blamed from the get-go for really uh, uh, enabling and empowering Black Lives Matter by making them the honorary, um, I guess, the honorary group marching in the July 3rd parade. I think that they opened a whole can of worms when they did that because they knew already. I mean, we had seen over the six months previous to that how um, how aggressive they were in their demands. They had staged sit-ins at the premier's house. 
and on the lawn of Queen's Park, and we knew that their tactics were always very aggressive. They did not want to sit down and talk to anybody, not the Premier, not anyone. And I think that they asked for it. I really do think they asked for it by making them the honorary group in the parade. Hmm. Uh, is there somebody, uh, one key figurehead in charge of Black Lives Matter? Do we know who these people are? Do we? Is there an, is there a, a lead person on this? Well, there are a couple. There are a couple of ladies. Um, and, I mean, we've done a, f- a few stories over the last uh, six to eight months. They were kind of quiet for a while, but we, at the, you know, in the fall, we did some stories about how one was getting some money from the York Federation of Students uh, to pursue the Black Lives Matter um, issues. A lot of them are uh, professional students. Um, going to Oise, York University, uh, studying, of course, social justice issues. Um, we can't really tell from, you know, whether any of them actually work for a living. They seem to be, you know, in academia. And um, we're not really sure what their issues are because, look, uh, I think there's a real issue south of the border with policing and blacks, but I don't think there's the same problems here in Toronto. And I don't really understand why it's come to this. And I blame Pride uh, for not having the balls or the guts to stand up to this group. Who made the who made Black Lives Matter the official opposition of this discussion? You know, I, I think Pride actually enabled them by, you know, pussyfooting around the whole issue, again, allowing them to be in the parade, not addressing uh, openly and uh, resolutely back in July the, the fact that the policing, the police have a right to be involved in the parade, that they're grateful. Um, for the Let me stop you right there, Sue Ann, because that's where I am on this. It's like, who the hell is anybody to say who can and can't participate in this parade? I mean... Well, not only that, yeah, not only that Scott, but these uh, the police provide their services on a volunteer basis, largely on a volunteer basis. And it costs taxpayers or... Um, the parade didn't have to pay, let's put it that way, it was for gone revenue, uh, of over 500000 to man the parade in July. And let's not look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, the parade also gets up to a million, in addition to the policing, um, in grants and resources from the City of Toronto. And, you know, this is quite a slap in the face to city workers, I think. So where is the mayor on this? Is he going to sit by and let this happen? Well, he issued a pretty wishy-washy statement. I actually got more forceful commentary from some of the councillors who say that pride should be cut off. Yeah, that's... It should be cut off from city funding from here on in unless they, you know, resolve this situation. But frankly, they've had six months to deal with it. And I'm not at all surprised that Black Lives Matter and their... It wasn't Black Lives... It was the supporters of Black Lives Matter, basically. Very radical, aggressive gays and lesbians... Um, so, they don't represent the entire gay community, I might add, because I'm gay. And it, they certainly don't represent me. And I so. thought the objective behind Pride was inclusion. How is this possibly inclusive? I mean, it seems, if anything, to just be divisive. It's absolutely not inclusive. It makes absolutely no sense. And let me add to that, that at the meeting last night, and I was the only member of the mainstream media there, um, they, you know... A couple of uh, men tried to get up gay men and say, this is ridiculous. This meeting is about, um, you know, our year and, and celebrating our year and voting in new board members and moving on. And why is Black Lives Matter on even uh, allowed to be on the agenda? And they were booed down. 
they were screamed at. They were called like white. They have white superiority. And, um, you know, so uh, dissenting views are not tolerated at all. And this is from an uh, organization, ironically, that talks about inclusiveness and tolerance. It certainly seems like parade is, uh, that Pride has lost control of this event. It has. And, and I might add that I'm, also, I'm well used to it, but I'm also getting some pretty nasty uh, tweets and emails from people on the, on the and, and a lot of supportive ones, but from people on the left in the gay community. And I've been told that I, I, I shouldn't consider myself a member of Toronto's gay community. Cause I, I, I wonder I, what know. criteria they base that on. <laughs> because <laughs> I don't support Black Lives Matter and because well. I actually have some common sense. What reasons did Black Lives Matter give for banning police? How do they justify this? How does this help inclusivity? What, what reasons did they give? Well, I think, you know, it goes, it really speaks to what's happening south of the border because we don't have the same issues here with police not respecting blacks. I mean, there have been a few. Um, it, it actually goes back to um, some police shootings and um, the handling of the police shootings by our special investigations unit. Uh, the, the provincial one, and they had some concerns around that. And, 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 you know, not to say their concerns aren't valid, but this is not the way to address them. And I, uh, I know that the, both the uh, Premier and um, the Police Association have tried to sit down and have, you know, discussions with them, but no, they'd rather rant and rave and um, try to intimidate people. Um, like the Pride organization, and that's how they, uh, I guess, accomplish what they consider a win. I don't consider it a win at all. How will Toronto police handle this? I mean, this is a PR nightmare for them. They're really pissed. They're really pissed. I just talked to the uh, head of the union, Mike McCormick, and he said, well, why should we provide police services? Even, yeah. You know, we, we volunteer our services. Why should we? We're very disappointed, and, um, you know, rightly so. And there are might I add, many gay and lesbian police officers. Mm -hmm. So it's a real slap in the face to all of them. Is this about uh, banning police or, uh, well, is this even about pride or is this about a separate issue? Like, it just seems this whole movement has been hijacked. It has. And, you know, I'm very familiar with that because uh, a couple years ago, Pride was hijacked by the careers against Israeli apartheid. They picked on Israel, and they decided that um, they would march against Israel, even though it had nothing. Israel is actually the most, the biggest democracy in the Middle East when it comes to gays. And that's how I sort of got involved with the Pride organization, because I was fighting that. I'm, I'm a Zionist. And um, so that was hijacked for a number of years, and then they managed to be pushed out of the parade in time for World Pride. And now a new group has taken its place. So I would say over the last 10 years, Pride Toronto has not been able to handle these outside influences, and they've certainly lost sight of their mission and the fact that they represent all gays in Toronto, not a select few of radicals. Well, and, you know, you bring up a very valid point here, Sue Ann. I mean, you know, every uh, there's gay people in every single walk of life, in every uh, financial class, whatever, however you want to break this down and stereotype it. How does, how does Pride get a handle on this moving forward? Because this is a very small percentage of the population, I'm guessing. It is, it is, but they're very loud, and they're bullies, and, you know, I certainly saw that last night, and, I mean, even when I left, I was called a racist, because I dared, because anybody who dares criticize Black Lives Matter is called a racist, you know, that's the term, they use these very emotionally charged words, so I don't know, I I think 
really the entire board needs to be canned. I know the new people who are on there, um, I'm told that they're very Black Lives Matter compliant, sympathetic to the issue. They certainly seem so. I didn't stay for the elections because I had a, a deadline, but uh, I think they need some strong people in there. Or this could sound the death knell of Pride Toronto. That's my next question, Sue Ann, is that how, how is this going to damage Pride? I think it already has, and I mean, I'm hearing from so many gays in the Toronto community and DTA who are disgusted and say they're going to boycott Pride, and, and if they don't watch it, the city will cut them off from funding and support. Unbelievable. Uh, Sue Ann Levy's been with us, investigative columnist with Post Media. Her article in the Toronto Sun today, Vote Bans Cops from Taking Part in Pride Parade, uh, even though they provide more than a half a million dollars worth of free uh, free police security uh, for the event. Sue Ann, thanks very much for the time. Courageous article. Good luck. You're welcome. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.